Hello, hello, and welcome to The Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast, I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians on the planet. In my role at Rope Club, I interview each artist as we prepare for the release of their latest record. I want to get the backstory, a sense of their intent and their motivation around the new record. I found that given the opportunity in a relaxed setting, they feel free to open up about life and the challenges of being a professional musician. This week I got on the line with Mr. Kyle Nasser. As Kyle is a graduate of both Berkeley and Harvard, I thought the conversation might get serious. And it did, as we went through the intricacies of his new album, Persistent Fancy. Though we know Kyle from the New York outfit Beekman, this is his debut as a band leader. The compositions have deep meaning and careful intricacy, and yet one does not need to have a full understanding to enjoy this record. So here we are at uh, 21 Soul, the station tapes, and I am I'm here with Kyle Nasser. Kyle, how are you? I'm good, Louis. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm good. I'm good. I am excited. Um, we had a, a fantastic release from the band uh, Beekman that you are, are part of, and now we're yeah. preparing for your new record. So pretty excited to get this thing out into the world uh i definitely think it's the most personal uh, recording i've done i haven't released a uh solo album since my record uh that came out in 2015 which was actually my debut so this sort of is uh, i think this is very representative of where i'm at right now as an artist so i'm pretty excited to get it out there nice i gotta ask you about the title first persistent fancy it's one of those intriguing combinations of words but i don't know yeah. what <laughs> so it's a it's it's a little bit nerdy but uh i'll go into it a little bit so uh samuel taylor coleridge who is probably most famous for his poem the rhyme of the ancient mariner he was like a hmm. 18th century uh poet and critic and uh you know writer and he had this idea of the, he played off the concepts of imagination, which he saw as creation out of nothing with fancy, which he called just sort of amalgamating and, you know, re, uh, reordering things that are familiar. And he definitely came down on the side of imagination as the higher faculty, he thought that that was the real genuine faculty of man was imagination and that fancy was sort of a lesser, a lesser faculty, uh, of lesser minds, mm-hmm. uh, Anyway, when sort of the modern art uh, movement was going, there was a critic, a uh, British critic named T.E. Hulme. And T.E. Hulme, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but uh, he basically came down on the other side. He said that imagination was too too highfalutin. It was too, um, you know, it was trying to be too self-aggrandizing, too bombastic, and that people ended up doing the same old crap if they were using uh, imagination. And he came down on the side of fancy, said that it's the way we orient things. Basically, everything's been done, so the way to be original is to reorient things, even if they're not the most groundbreaking things in themselves. So I was thinking that in the context of uh, I'm often plagued or maybe not plagued, maybe plagued is too strong, but at least haunted by recurrent thoughts, things that just come back to you and back to you and back to you. And they might not be the deepest things, but they they stick with you for a long time. And when I was writing one, one of the tunes was on the album, which is actually the title track. It's just sort of a groove in five that's you know, kind of like a five cliche. It's just two and three, and it just repeats an ostinato thing. And it sort of reminded me of those thoughts. So I thought that was a persistent fancy. It was the thought that just kept coming back to me. 
Beautiful. And that just, that gives me so much to think about. I, I was going to, I put myself on the, uh, on the reordering side of that. <laughs> that higher. Although sometimes I think I have actual real imagination. I wonder what, uh, what that argument uh, would come to in a, in a, in a circle of quantum physicists at this point, uh, now that we have an understanding that uh, we might just be reordering. Reality. You've got to link, link in uh, Neil deGrasse on this, on there you this go. podcast. Let's, let's send the album to him and see what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, it got me thinking like, is there any such thing as actual imagination? Like what was that? Was that just some concepts that he came up with? Right. There's all, you know, this was sort of a philosophy of a mind. Isn't there a lot of, aren't there a lot of presets given our sort of our cultural framework and our educational framework and whatever that best we can hope for is just fancy. Right. I think now we're wondering if there's any such thing as reality. Yeah, I guess so. It's in all imagination or at least fancy. Yeah. So I, I've got to ask you this question. Your bio says you're a graduate of Harvard and Berkeley. So yes. I want to know how that happens. Well, <laughs> One was for my parents, one was for myself. <laughs> Perfect. Simple. We're going to leave it right there. Got it. What did you study, though, at Harvard? I studied economics and political philosophy. My degree's in economics, but I got all of those requirements out of the way the first two years, and then I ended up studying uh, mostly political philosophy, um, which was great. Actually, it wasn't just for my parents. It, I think I, I definitely got a lot of it as a, as a person, but wanted to pursue music after well, it's you know, as as a working musician, I'm sure you think about it often that it's nice to have something, uh, some safety net. <laughs> not that I plan on using it, but they're at risk, right? Well, of course, yeah. not no intention of using it, but right, yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, in in you know, while we're while we're in this in this heady space, um, you you reference you know classical. So I, I assume that you've studied uh, a, a good bit of classical music. Was yeah, that kind of a starting point for you. Uh, no, well, in a sense, it was a starting point. I started playing clarinet when I was age six, uh, and there, you know, when you're age six, people aren't really teaching you a whole lot of jazz. So I started studying classical, but not very seriously. Um, I really started studying classical when I went to Berkeley. Strangely enough, Berkeley has a lot of they have a lot of resources, so they're they're able to poach really good uh, classical professors from NEC and New England Conservatory. So I got to study with a lot of really fantastic composition teachers there. Uh, so I took a deep dive into classical music and it influences, uh, my music a lot, even though I don't think my music sounds like classical music, but sort of in terms of the counterpoint and the, the forms I employ and some of the compositional techniques, it's, it's there. It's, it's interesting to me, um, you know, for, for, and I'm always coming from a, a pretty much a layman's perspective. Um, you know, I just interviewed, um, Dmitry Vasilyevich, and he was classically trained, and and I, and I hear certain elements in in his music in jazz that mm -hmm. definitely hints to me of something much. Uh, I don't want to say more sophisticated, but in, in a sense, yeah, more sophisticated. H how do you think? Like, what are these two uh, genres? I guess I'll have to use that word um, in, in comparison to each other, and and how do they intersect? Are they are they as far apart as they seem to to the average person? I think that's a great question. I think that uh, they're they're way more alike than a lot of people uh, tend to think. I'd say the biggest difference is jazz tends to have sort of metronomic rhythm and sort of folk rhythm, folk sort of beats, mm -hmm. and the classical music doesn't necessarily have a motor rhythm. Um, 
but a lot of there's so much overlap between harmony and form. And even with classical music, there used to be a lot of improvisation prior to sort of the virtuoso movement in the late 19th century that they would people would improvise things based off what is essentially a set of chord changes, uh, which is basically what jazz operates on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think of it more as a format than, than, than a genre per se. There's lots of overlaps between all kinds of genres, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would say that there's sort of t- certain techniques of voice leading that are used a lot in classical music that are, you know, used, I won't say ignored because there are a lot of people that are, you know, doing this stuff and employing it, but that they're just less used in the common language of jazz. Hmm. I tend to find that a lot of jazz musicians I know, you know, they learn from and study and listen to classical music. And this has gone way back. I heard interviews with Charlie Parker where he was talking about checking out, you know, Stravinsky and then hearing Stravinsky quotes in Cannonball Adderley solos. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a rich history of, of, of listening that I just feel like the classical guys sometimes don't necessarily view jazz the same way. Yeah. They don't want to be, they don't want to be associated with, with, with effectively what they think is dance music probably. Right? Yeah. Dance music are just people just making stuff up, you know, that's making it up as it goes along. Yeah. That's yeah. called improvisation. Um, we, we, we're releasing a record this fall, uh, from, uh, a band called whose hat is this anyway. And, uh, it's all completely improv- improvised. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, what I like about, you know, jazz, regardless of uh, the 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 political or so- sociopolitical origins of the term, but what I like about and and even the the quote jazz police saying right. jazz and what's bad jazz. What I like about it, it seems to be the one of the only genres that that can you know, that just has the biggest umbrella. You know, like, yeah, I, and it's been it's been like that for for a long time. You know, it's I, I feel like the the sort of jazz police thing is 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 a newer development in the thing but yeah it's it's always been able to incorporate things and that's why i like rubido because they don't have that jazz police mentality right <laughs> sort of open to everything when i first when, when beekman first went to put our our first album on there i remember you saying like this is not necessarily the 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 thing that we do most but, but i like the music so let's do it I, <laughs> yeah. I like that attitude <laughs> well it, you know and it's it's it, it really we've had some time since that date and and uh it just really comes down to whether, um, it, for, for us, it's the spirit of whether, you know, you are the best jazz has already been played, or somebody's trying to do something new, you know, right. uh, and try, trying to push it a little bit, and that seems to be the core over here. Well, so, interesting. I think, like on the new album, I've got actually a few tunes that fit more into the the sort of classic, feel good uh, sort of backbeat. Uh, grounding that Ropadope started with, but then also some stuff that's even further than the uh, mm-hmm. more abstract than the Beekman stuff that we did. So good. So so yeah, I'm gl- glad to go on to the to to the record. Um, how how did this record come about? And you know, talk about the, the you know composing and arranging and and recording. Like, how, what's your process and how did it, how did this uh, start and finish for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, the the composing is probably the part that takes the longest. Um, I've basically been writing music for, you know, I my my last uh, eponymous album was a quintet record. And I, you know, I've been writing more quintet and sextet music since I put that album out. Um, and I, I tend to, I always write at the piano. Um, Right at the piano, and I actually wrote a couple of tunes on this new album at the bass. I, I never write on the saxophone, my instrument. Um, mm-hmm. I tend not to. 
I tend not to, in general, uh, gravitate to, I won't say like, but I tend not to gravitate towards music that is written by composers at the instrument that they play. Like, I'm, I don't really gravitate toward piano music that's written by piano players. Wow. Um, I just feel like they get all these sort of virtuoso chops that sort of get in the way of the, 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 the fundamental aspects of the, the composition itself. That's exactly, you just answered my question. I was going to ask, does that limit them? And, and yeah. It seems yeah, like. yeah. There tends to be all this sort of filigree that people, you know, people write saxophone music. It tends to be this, this, this very virtuosic thing that's specific to the saxophone that doesn't necessarily mean something compositionally. I, I just feel like I'll do that in my solos, but I want the the music to sort of have a certain vibe that's that's separate from any instrument. And I don't really play the piano that well, nor do I play the bass very well. So if I write something on that, it has more of a a, a melodic or, or conceptual drift to it. So you, so are you hearing something and then, and then you sit down at the piano or, uh, you know, what? It, it works all, all different ways. Uh, sometimes I'll hear something and then rush to the piano to sort of figure out what that is. Sometimes I'll just sit down at the piano blindly. In fact, that's probably the, the most common way is I'll sit down at the piano blindly and just, just come up with things. If I don't like it, move on to the next idea. If I come up with something I like, whether it be two bars or eight bars, I'll sit down and sort of analyze what I've written see what what is making it work what makes me like it see how i can permutate it and rearrange it do things to sort of develop it and make a longer composition out of it uh so i was really working with this album with sort of continuing sort of long long form composition from the last album uh so about half the, the music on the album is sort of long very written music mm-hmm. um, and then the other half is sort of more traditional short form jazz stuff what does it look like when it gets to the band in what in what state of completion yeah so most of my stuff uh at least on this album is was fairly fairly complete when i had it written down but then when when we got with the band into uh you know rehearsals or something or gigs that we were playing we would sort of create arrangements out of that so i usually have a composition that's just kind of you know plays itself top to bottom and then the thing we got to figure out is what are we going to blow on? You know, I tend not to write separate solo forms. So different instruments will pick different parts of the tune to, to blow over or to open up or extend or freely improvise on or things like that. So that's usually what gets worked out after the composition process. And I played a few gigs with these guys around town. Um, I live in New York and, and it became pretty obvious. I wanted to record it once the music started really sounding good after these gigs. Nice. Do you want to do you want to uh, comment on any any of the players? And well, I might as well mention them all. Um, so I, I'd always wanted to do something with another saxophone. My last record only had me a saxophone and then guitar, piano, bass, drums. This one I added Roman Filiu, who's a great uh, Cuban alto saxophone player uh, to the mix. He's a super original voice on alto. He played for a long time with Chucho Valdez's band. Currently plays with Henry Threadgill and Steve Coleman and Miguel Zanon's big band and Daphne Prieto's big band. So he's a really, really heavy dude and, and, a, and a beautiful person. So it's been, it's been really cool to play with him. Uh, and then returning from the last album is Jeff Miles on guitar. I think he's one of the more unique voices on the guitar. He, he's a total virtuoso and you know, has is able to bring new soundscapes that that I've never heard before on the guitar. Um, and also returning from the last time is Dove Mansky on piano. And in addition to playing piano this time, he also played Prophet Synthesizer to add some new textures to the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And on bass is uh, a guy by the name of Nick Jost, who most probably know, people probably know, he's in uh, the metal band Baroness. Uh -huh. Not a jazz project, but he's also a fantastic upright jazz player. Well, actually, he, he can play everything. He's, he's a complete virtuoso on the instrument. Well, this is interesting, right? So, because, you know, my, my son's a, a big metal fan, um, and he, he, you know, informed my... Uh, uh, uninformed personage that uh, mm -hmm. a, a lot of that music is has classical roots. I guess I don't I don't particularly know a whole lot about metal. Uh, maybe maybe we can get Nick on the next podcast and ask him. I know it's very complicated rhythmically, and uh, I enjoy what I've heard, but I'm not a, I'm certainly not no expert on metal. There you go. And then the drummer. The drummer is Alan Mednard, uh, who is basically playing with everybody. I think he's playing this week with Kurt Rosenwinkel at the Vanguard. Wow. Um, but I remember the first time playing with him, basically it felt like anything I played sounded good when I played with him. So <laughs> he's a he's a good good guy to have in your band. Nice. I'm 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 becoming more informed uh, about about the incredible influence of the drummer. I think I mean, my car yeah. opened my eyes to that. Uh, when I saw him play, and was like, I you know, always just kind of like discounted the the drummer. I was just yeah, they they kind of make the entire sound of the 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 band sounds like the drummer sounds. The wow. the whole aesthetic is shaped by the the sort of underlying groove that's brought by the drums. So yeah, it's the it's kind of the most important instrument. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, is this band going to tour? Like, what's what's the plan? Yeah, so we've got um, we've got a, a few dates right around the release booked for New England, um, and then we are going to go out to the West Coast in April, and that's what I have planned. Gigs around New York, um, and then we're playing at Berkeley uh, Cafe Nine Thirty Nine mm -hmm. on October Eleventh, and we're playing in my hometown of New Bedford, Mass, at the Greasy Luck Brew Pub, which is a really nice beautiful venue uh, in my hometown we beekman did a release there last year it's better uh, than it sounds <laughs> yeah <laughs> it actually the the venue part of it is in a uh, an old bank building uh, so oh, nice. it's, it's this huge you know marble uh beautiful oh. and they put a the a really nice sound system into the room and uh it's cool yeah I like that. <laughs> we're, we're in a we're in an old train station and I, uh, I just have the vision of just like repurposing every old bricks and mortar and marble place from from a from an era exactly era as as some sort of music or music related uh place you know that that would be my dream but this this place did it they bought it for some stupidly low price and you know mm -hmm. renovated it and it looks beautiful and then we're playing in new york on the 13th saturday the 13th and then we'll be touring on the west coast in april it's great um so man, I want to I want to I want to bring the date, put the date in here, right? Where October fifth is the release of Persistent Fancy. Um, I, 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 you know, my last question really is: Is there anything that you know, given given the opportunity to speak verbally about the record rather than just hear the music? Is there anything particularly you want to say about Persistent Fancy and and, and what it might mean to people as they approach it? Uh, I don't know. You put me on the spot here with that. I guess tough one. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't have anything particularly deep to say about it. I hope people will listen to it. I put a lot of you know thought and effort into into not only the compositions but the ordering and the the, the way the music works together. 
But one thing I'll, I'll talk briefly about is I, I wanted to explore the concept of the suite a bit more, sort of interrelated compositions. Um, and so I have two suites on the new record. One is a Baroque suite, which has a, a prelude, a fugue, and an improv based on the themes of those. Um, and then, you know, it's like the, 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 uh, the, the prelude part is sort of influenced by Russian music. And then the fugue itself is, it obeys all the rules of, you know, of a Baroque fugue, but it's written in, in swing. It's just sort of a jazz swing style. Uh, and the improv is also swinging sort of in an Ornette Coleman style. And then the other uh, suite is on the, it's, it's about desire. I called it the arrow suite and sort of the stages of desire uh, right from the very beginning to the very end. Uh, and it's in three movements, prelude to desire, desire, and postlude. Uh, Beautiful. No, I, I, that's, that's a perfect answer. I mean, that, that tells people what to expect and, and uh, you know, prepare, prepare yourselves. Yeah. To understand. Cool. Well, glad, glad I was able to offer something. <laughs> not in name <laughs> you know it, it's so interesting i grew up in the time and the, the reason that i that that question comes to me uh fairly often in these in these podcasts is that i grew up in a time where, where we were you know pouring over music trying to understand what the you know what the what the musician intended you right, know right. uh and and now we live in a time of just so much music and so much content and media out there that uh we've stopped doing that and right. somehow that 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 has become disconnected, you know. Right. What did somebody? It's just, it's just about tracks, or it's just about singles, or yeah, how it fits yeah. my playlist, or or you know, uh, what an, what an image is like. It's, just, it's it's there's been some disruption in the force of that connection. So I I do like to hear uh, what people's intent was around music, and I think it it helps people when they listen to it uh, to to hear that. At least I hope so. Uh, man, I agree, and I've heard that from 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 audiences when I play. They, you talk about the music, man. I really enjoyed it. I was listening to what you were what you're saying, and I listened to it in a different way. So yeah, I think that's. Oh, so do you you on stage? You 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 describe your compositions and. I kind of started doing it just randomly. Just uh, you know, it was just I had some tune that was very strange, and I just started talking about it. And after the oh show, God, explain it. Yeah, that was the one tune that everybody was like, I enjoyed that tune, and and in your when you told me what to listen for, it really brought up these ideas in my head about uh, that that concept or whatever I was talking about so I started doing it more and got a good response so I, I I actually try to do that yeah I used to think that that was kind of a lame thing to do yeah but I started it's doing fancy. good results it's fancy is what it is you're, I guess you're, you're, <laughs> helping, you're helping people organize it uh in in their minds which is very important Right, right. Kyle, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I want to say thank you for bringing us uh, beautiful music, and I'm looking forward to this release. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you so yeah. much. Louis, thank thank you for for uh, hosting this chat and also for putting the record out. I really appreciate that. You got it, man. Well, that's our show for the week. Thanks for listening to the Station Tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at Twenty One Soul. And you can also find us on Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. Our 21 Soul video series features in-person interviews, music discussion, and live performances. And you can find that on YouTube at Ropadope99. Big thanks to our producer, Nick Perry. Our general manager is Fran DeRubo. The Station Tapes theme song is from Red Hook Soul by Michael Blake. And big thanks to all the people who keep the flame burning, to all the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and thanks to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show.